Welcome back to your creativity, everybody. This is Dylan once again on a Zoom call. This time we're going to the East Coast. It's been a little while since we've talked to somebody on the East Coast. Uh, we are talking to Robert Duncan McNeil, who's in Atlanta. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Doing good. Weather's nice. decent here. The writing's not crazy. Uh, everything's kind of yeah. mellowed out here. Where are you at again? Salt Where, Lake City. Yeah, I love Salt Lake. I, I used to have a place up at Park City, uh, condo up there. I love skiing and just summers up there were great. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Utah's beautiful. Utah's amazing, and and Park City is amazing. You know that much beauty that close. It's just yeah, love it. How how are things down in Atlanta? Have things calmed down there quite a bit? You know, I think um, I think that it, it's funny. Like when you see the news and you see the police all geared up like, you know, the military, some invading force, and you see the protesters on camera. But if those cameras pan right or left, even a little bit, you realize, oh, there's like maybe a thousand people there. Like, it's not, it's not, you know, the, 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 what was that called? The, the spring, you know, the, the spring in, uh, in the Middle East, what was that called? The something spring? when there were millions of people out on the streets, like right. literally you looked in Egypt or, or, you know, Yemen or some of those countries. Um, and there were literally millions of people. This is significant. And I think there's, you know, it's, it's, it's protests around the country certainly show that there is um, something resonating for people, but it's not in the millions of people, you know? Right. So anyway, I, I live in the suburbs of Atlanta. It's very quiet where I'm at. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, I think our mayor has done a phenomenal job of of kind of riding the waves of this whole thing, and she's um, you know very committed to some serious reform of, of the police in terms of training and policies, and adopting policies that will help protect everyone. Everyone. Um, so yeah, I think I think things are. I think these these protests have been effective. I think the rioting has been relatively minimal here although i did know someone who was sort of got swept up into the rioting downtown the very first night of that of that ugliness which in my opinion has nothing to do with the protests which are very peaceful and very righteous in my opinion and very valid and and very legal like it's our first amendment exactly. speaks of it so i think the the protests have nothing to do with this criminal behavior, this rioting and looting. And a friend of mine, a colleague that I worked with here on a TV show that I produced in Atlanta, um, who works in the location business, um, uh, represents people, building owners and business owners and uh, landlords that rent out their buildings for filming. Uh, he represents a lot of people in a, in a kind of older neighborhood, downtown Atlanta. And he was down there helping some black business owners board up their store. It was actually, um, I think it was some um, African-American women owned a, like a beauty supply store and he was helping, he was boarding it up to protect it. And a car stopped and a bunch of young men got out and beat him up, beat him very, very seriously, hurt him. And um, it's a shame because I know him and I, he's a good man and he's, committed to that part of the city and 
and to redevelopment and, and protecting business owners and people's property. And he also has a, a daughter who's married to an African-American man. His grandchildren are mixed race. He's, he's not, he's an ally of, of the protests. So these rioters and these people that beat him up were, they have nothing to do with the protests. They're just um, angry lost people that are, that are breaking the law yeah. and hurting, hurting people. So anyway, politics. Huh? <laughs> yeah, here it was just a crazy few, but our, like, like your mayor, you know, she's done a good job. Of, we had curfews that they ended yesterday because things have calmed down. So yeah. it's amazing that we have good leaders that can, you know, get a handle on it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's go on to something brighter. Something yeah, let's <laughs> do. Let's talk about creative things. Exactly. So mm-hmm. I became aware of you on The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation, yep. when you were in the episode of uh, The Name. Um, the First it, Duty. The it was. First Duty. And it was first duty. Yep. Uh, Will, Will Wheaton. Um, mm-hmm. Rusty Crasher was back on Earth, and you were one of the, the other people in the episode. What was it like filming that episode? Because that was your first kind of entry into Star Trek. Yeah, I, I got to be honest, I hadn't watched Next Gen when it was on the air, and I didn't know much about it. Um, my agents at the time told me they had a bunch of clients who had done it before, and that their clients always had a wonderful experience. Like, it was one of those shows that just had a really good reputation for the experience that the actors had on the show. So I went into it kind of anticipating having a good time. I had no idea... Um, I didn't realize that Wesley's character had been off the show and I didn't know, you know, the context and the history of that for Will. So um, it's funny. I remember Will saying as we were doing these scenes, it was, you know, myself and and a few other young actors that were closer to Will's age. And uh, he kept saying, God, I was begging them to, to have some actors my age for years. Like, and now finally, like, you don't realize how nice this is to be doing uh, an episode of, of Star Trek where I'm not acting with all the adults. And, and uh, he, he just kept repeating that a lot. Yeah, we had a great time. The, the whole little ensemble of the younger actors, the, the Starfleet Academy team that, that we were all portraying, uh, we got along great. We would go to lunch together every day. And, uh, you know, between setups, lighting setups, we would sit, sit off to the side and just chat away and talk and talk and Will and I stayed in touch for quite a few years after that. Um, even when I was out of town or, or things like that, I'd, I'd touch base with him every now and then because I just really sort of connected and bonded with him and just had such a nice time. I wanted to stay in touch with him. So um, yeah, overall, it was, a, it was a great experience. And what I liked about that episode, it was that, that change of pace where it was a group of younger Starfleet people. And I, I you know, and your character is similar to your Tom Paris character on Voyager. Um, would you say there are similarities? Cause they're both kind of, you know, gung-ho. yeah, very, very similar. I mean, it, they both had gotten trouble in their past. Um, the, the differences I'd say is um, for me is that I always felt like Nick Locarno on, on next gen, he appeared like a really nice, good guy and, sincere and all that but underneath he was a little bit rotten i mean in the end he he took the fall and he did step up in the very end but he um 
he was he 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 presented being a really good guy, and underneath, I don't think he was as good as he presented. Whereas Tom Paris presented to everyone that he was a jerk. He sort of was yeah. like, "All right, I'm going to call me a jerk. Fine, I'll great. I'm a jerk." You know, he sort of he sort of owned it and presented it as a badge of honor. When I think really underneath, and what was fun to discover with him, really underneath, he was a good guy, and uh, and he grew into a much more heroic sort of um, an honorable man. And he started on the show very much still very immature and kind of a, a, a bit of a, still stuck in his boyhood in many ways. So uh, that was fun. That was a fun character to play. Yeah, I thought his character was one of the stronger characters on the show because he, you know, it, he had development all the way through. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, yeah he definitely, definitely evolved and he evolved and, and I felt like he was able to compliment a lot of different other characters nicely, you know, you could put him in a scene with the doctor and there was something interesting about that odd couple. You could put him in a scene with the captain, you put him in a scene with Harry or Bolana, Kess, Neelix. Yeah. And and speaking of of Harry, um, we've had Garrett on the podcast before. Uh, he came to Star Trek. Uh, oh, nice. He came to a convention here. Well, the first time I saw him, it was a convention. Yeah. It was years ago. It was a Star Trek convention here in Salt Lake. But he came to Fan X, and I got to meet him in person and do an interview at the table. And he, he he's super nice and just a great guy. And you you had years of experience, and you're interacting with him now. Tell us about your friendship with him. Yeah, Garrett, uh, Garrett and I sort of bonded um, in a number of ways. We were, we shot the very first scene of the pilot. We were the very first thing to, I think, um, the very first scene that was shot on Caretaker, the pilot, was the scene at Quark's Bar where Harry comes into Quark's Bar and Quark is going to, you know, hustle him with some stones or something, some jewels. And then Tom Paris walks in and says, and and has his back. So they bond immediately. So um, I felt like Garrett and I from the beginning were the early birds on the pilot. We shot that scene was the very first scene that was shot on the pilot. And then I think that first week or so, um, it was a lot of me and Garrett in the mess hall and on the bridge with Jean-Vierre Bougeot and he and I were working in that, that er, those early days. Uh, we were working together quite a lot and, and we were always together. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we just sort of naturally bonded because of that way that was scheduled and, and the way that pilot was written. Um, he was, he was uh, close to my age, a few years younger, um, but uh, I think he always felt like we were contemporaries and um more contemporary certainly than Garrett and and you know some and Kate or something like that you yeah. know so yeah we do we have chats and uh, yeah we just have a we have a we have a good friendship and a good sense of humor with each other and and it all started from the from the very beginning um I mean I think that's one reason to kind of segue into the podcast that you mentioned you know Garrett and I are doing a podcast called the Delta Flyers and it's a free podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it's a rewatch of all the episodes 
of Voyager. We we rewatch them, and then we come on the podcast and talk about what we what we uh, remember and and what was brought to mind by by the rewatch together. Um, and then there's a video component on Patreon and and more bonus features if people want to get involved. Anyway, the reason that that all came up was because Garrett and I have always had a good banter and a good sense of humor together from the beginning. We've had a good yeah. friendship. So, so when uh, this quarantine and pandemic started, Garrett was like, you know, I've always wanted to do something with you and I, and like our sense of humor and our, and our chemistry as friends. Um, and maybe we could do something. And so it just sort of, just by circumstance, we, we said, well, let's give it a shot. And it's really been fun. It's been so much fun for me to, to um, get to, to talk to him on a regular basis and, uh, and kind of rebuild our, and reconnect our friendship after all these years. And, and also um, it's been so much fun to, to rewatch these episodes. Cause a lot of them, I, I may have seen on the air originally, some of them I'm sure I didn't, I was probably filming and missed quite a, quite a number of them. So, uh, so it's really fun to go back and watch and really take the time to sort of reflect on every single episode starting from the beginning and how, doing it with Garrett. Garrett's really fun. How far are you guys in right now? We've rewatched and gotten, I think we've aired about six or so, five or five or six episodes with the pilot and everything. Um, and we just watched, I think, episode nine the other day. So we, we have to stay a few episodes ahead um, so that we can edit, have time to edit them and things like that. So uh, we're, start, we're trying to, you know, keep a few episodes ahead for sure. And uh, of those ones that you've done so far, is there any cool stories that you guys remember? If you could share like a quick one with us. Um, God, there's so many stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, years. <laughs> A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of stories. Um, yeah, I mean, just going back to the pilot, like I had forgotten Neelix's character um, had been very different in the pilot. He was dressed in this really cool like fur coat. He looked like a, he was a junk man. He looked like a trapper. He looked like Han Solo or something. He had this cool leather fur jacket that went to the ground and it was like, dark colors it wasn't those pinks and 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 oranges that he ended up wearing golds and things um yeah uh, i i had forgotten that neelix really was the one that pulled the action sequence out of his pocket and on you know with a with a case on there to to save kess and 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 get her rescue kess and and to save us like that's something that just I had totally forgotten. And I, I remembered filming those scenes out in the, the dry lake bed out in near uh, Victorville, California. Um, we filmed on a dry lake bed where they film a lot of car commercials and it's epic, it's beautiful. And climbing out of a hole that we dug into the, to the ground there as if we were coming you know, from the, deep in the planet. Um, the set they built for the Kazon out there, the, the fact that our director of photography, our cameraman, he ha his hobby was flying a helicopter and he used to fly his helicopter out there to set each day while the rest of us had to stay at these crappy little motels in Victorville. <laughs> but he, since he had a hell his own helicopter, he would land out in the desert and then he'd take off and fly over the mountain. He'd be home in 40 minutes and the rest of us 
you know, had to drive in a van back to Victorville and stay at the Days Inn or something. It was things like that. So, uh, With the color TVs in the hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. We had a we had so many stories that we're we're remembering. Both of us are remembering different things and kind of jogging each other's memories. And yeah, we've interviewed a bunch of people. Had some guests on Beltran, Robert Beltran, Picardo, and. Uh, Kate Mulgrew is going to come on soon and uh, uh, we've had Dan Curry from vis uh, visual effects behind the scenes people it's been a lot of fun the podcast I mean you're doing a podcast you know it's a lot of fun it is to, uh, to kind of have the time and the format to to, uh, to kind of dig into things deeply and yeah so I introduced you as Robert but you actually are referred to as Robbie you know in the community and among your castmates because yeah. there were three Roberts on Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, so you all came in as Robert, and how did you guys decide who got, you know? Well, I, yeah, I think um, we actually, honestly, it just luck, we lucked out that we all went by different nicknames. So I had always gone by Robbie, even though my my professional credit has been Robert for years. Um since I was a kid, I've always gone by Robbie and I, I've kept that name. So when I, you know, with friends or colleagues and things like that, I always go by Robbie. And so that was helpful. And uh, Robert Picardo has gone by Bob for many years. Um, uh, I don't know how long, maybe his whole life. So he was already used to going by Bob and Robert Beltran uses Robert, the, the full name. So we lucked out. Um, so it was easy for us to fall into that. And once people knew that, um, it was, you know, there was no confusion. But sometimes we'd get like guest directors or guest star actors that really didn't know everybody. And they would, you know, they would want to speak to me. A, a guest director might say to me, uh, Robert, can you blah, 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 blah. And I would ignore it because I thought he was talking <laughs> to Beltran, yeah. you know. And, um, so yeah, there was sometimes there was some confusion with people that were were not uh, full time crew members, but but usually everybody from the beginning they once they once they knew our, our nicknames and were working with us, it wasn't a problem. So, so you mentioned guest directors. That's a good I think uh, way to talk about. Yeah, you directed a few times on on Voyager and yeah. on on Enterprise, uh, four episodes each, right? That sounds right. I think I don't, I, it's been 25 years, yeah. <laughs> 20 or 25, but I think so. Um, yeah, I, I certainly remember my first episode of Voyager sacred ground. I was petrified to, uh, I'd been wanting to direct for a long time and I directed a couple of little short films as projects, but nothing close to an episode of, of television, certainly not a big sci-fi show. So, I was petrified and uh, excited and, and exhausted when it was over. Um, Sacred Ground was, I was very proud of that. Very happy with it. Um, Kate Mulgrew was very supportive. She had a big story in that episode and I was happy to be directing that episode uh, that Kate, she, she had always, she and I always had a great relationship. So um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And once I started directing, I definitely, once it was over and I saw the, finished product I was I was hooked like that's what I wanted to do and I thought that's what I would want to do but you know you never know until you, you try something exactly um, so yeah I, I 
directed about one a year after that, season three, four, five. I might have skipped one season. Once I directed, a lot of other actors came out uh, interested in directing. And and I think uh, Rick Berman and the producers wanted to slow it down a bit. So the, so um, so I felt very grateful to get four episodes. Um, I know Bob did one or two. I think he might have done two. Um, Tim Russ directed one. Roxanne directed one. Roxanne's gone on to a very big directing career. Um, who else? Andy Robinson came over from DS9 and directed one. Um, our, our director of photography, Marvin Rush, directed one or two. Um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, in the family ended up getting opportunities to direct. And I'll, I'll always be grateful to Star Trek for that, that, that they were always a show that were, was willing to take a chance on, you know, members of the family inside the, the, the people that work full time on the show, and give them a shot at their dreams. And if and if they were good at it, you know, to reward that. So I was very grateful. Yeah, great. And um, from what I understand, I heard the story that uh, like like when you first started on the show, you, you expressed to the producers that you would like to direct. At yeah, some day point. day one, I actually expressed it because. <laughs> I had started shadowing or observing directors um, about two or three years before that on, on another series that I had done that didn't last quite a full season. And, um, and I had really gotten interested. So I had been shadowing and observing directors and kind of um, watching and learning for two or three years. And um, I had done a couple of series in that two or three years that didn't last, that got canceled after seven episodes or got canceled after, uh, you know, 15 episodes or whatever. So, uh, um, so when I got on Star Trek, I knew that there was a good chance this show was going to run more than seven episodes or 15 episodes. Yeah. So I wanted them to know right out of the gate, I'm interested in directing. You tell me what I need to do to have the opportunity. Cause I'm, I'm excited to do it and I've already been getting ready. I wanted him to know that. So that's um, awesome. Well, yeah. And you've went on to direct uh, on other series as well. Uh, Chuck and um, uh, what's the other one? Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And mm -hmm. uh, you also directed an episode of Everwood here. Mm -hmm. And that was in Salt Lake. In Salt yeah, Lake. that's right. Yeah. Um, before you go into Chuck, tell us a little bit about uh, Everwood, what, what your experience here. Everwood was like. interesting. So I had, I had, I was relatively new as a full-time director at that point. I had directed, I think, one season of Dawson's Creek, where I was a guest director, maybe just a couple, an episode or two. And um, um, Greg Berlanti, who had been involved in Dawson's Creek that year before, had seen my episode. Um, of Dawson's Creek, the funeral episode that he was very impressed by. And so he wanted me to do one of the early episodes of Everwood. Um, that show that Greg, Greg Berlanti's first show he created was called Everwood and uh, shot in Salt Lake. Anyway, uh, I was doing one of the early episodes, episode five or six or something like that. And um, my memories of that, uh, I definitely learned a lot on that particular episode about how to deal with actor challenges. Um, 
there was one actor on that show and I'll, I'll not use any names cause I don't think that's respectful, but there was an actor who, who for the first time since I had been directing and I'd only directed four episodes of Voyager and a couple of enterprise and a couple of, you know, I had maybe, I, I don't think I'd even directed 10 episodes of television at that point. Right. So very early. I mean, at this point I've directed a hundred, 150 episodes. I've produced as many or more. I've, I've been involved in five, six, 800. I don't even know how many episodes of television, but at that point I'd only directed maybe seven or eight episodes. And, uh, it was the first time I had an actor, a principal actor, who was very difficult, was very, and creatively wanted to do some things that I knew the writers did not want. Right. The writers had been very specific about what they wanted and, and the network and all of our meetings, we had been very specific about what they wanted and particularly one scene and, and this actor just refused to do it and then um, spoke very disrespectfully to me and stormed off the set. It was very dramatic. And, um, and I didn't, you know, I, I, I did, I'm, I, I'm somebody who avoided conflict most of my life, but, but at this point, if this happened to me now, I would deal with this very differently. I would have been, um, I would have confronted the problem directly. But at that point I was trying to make the actor happy. He was very challenging, trying to make the writers happy and get what I knew they wanted. It was, I just didn't, I was, I was in over my head probably a bit. And uh, that's one of the biggest memories I have was, was uh, an actor creatively disagreeing with me um, and, and the writing team and producers because he you know, he had a very different idea than anyone else. And so how to deal with that on a set, how to, how to truly um, support the actors. Cause I do always believe that that's the, one of the most important jobs is to, is to bring out the best, most committed performances you can from an actor. you know, um, but at the same time, there's, there's other agreements that, that I've made with the writers and the producers in terms of what I'm going to deliver to them. So I, I would have dealt with it differently, but at the time I, I was very, very flustered by it and didn't know what to make of it. I couldn't believe that the actor had stormed off set and, you know, spoken to me the way that, that he did. So that's my biggest memory. <laughs> it, ended, it ended up fine. You know, it ended up fine in the end. Uh, the actor and I both shook hands and, you know, water under the bridge and, sorry that that happened and we moved on. It was not a big deal, but, uh, and I was very happy with the episode, but, but that's my biggest memory of, of, of Salt Lake. Uh, my other memory was we shot in Ogden, I think was the town that we used as the kind of main street. Yeah. That's up and, north. Yeah. From where I am. Yeah. I, I didn't know Ogden before that. I knew park city. I knew Salt Lake a little bit, but going up to Ogden and, uh, what a picturesque and great little main street that was. It oh, was, beautiful. uh, yeah, beautiful little town, and uh, um, I just love Utah. I love the mountains there. I love the, I love the air. The people are friendly. It's busy, but not too busy. It's it's a it's it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we appreciate that, and you're welcome back anytime. We've got a, a convention that runs at least once a year. So, and I know I'd the love guy. To come. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll talk to him for you. 
Yeah, uh, I'd love to do that. I'd love it. Now, Chuck. Chuck was one of my favorite TV shows when it was on. Just yeah. funny, action-packed. And, and you directed a bunch of those. What What was that set like with all those fun actors? It was a lot of fun. It was silly. Very silly, that's for sure. We had a lot of laughs. I am... Um, so mostly what I do these days, and I've done for the last 10 or 15 years or so, is um, direct and produce. So I, I tend to, um, I, don't, I don't direct as many shows as some other directors, like, um, you know, Roxanne, for example, has gone on to direct a lot of really fabulous episodes. And she's produced a couple of times, actually, as well. But I, I've kind of made the focus of my work producing um, so I stay with the show. I often I'll help get it started. Um, and the kind of producing that I do is, uh, working with the writers and then the production staff and budgets to, to kind of say, all right, the writer wants, this is what's important to the writer and the creator of the show. And I understand the production side. So here's some creative ways we can do that and stay within budget and do it with our, the, the resources that we have or, or here's a way to make this even better than the writer may have imagined is we can, we can amp this up a little bit. We can, um, for example, last year I directed the show called the resident, a medical show. And they had a big, they had a request by the network that they wanted an action sequence in the episode because, um, it was going to, it was going to partner up with the mid season premiere of nine one one, the action show. So they wanted to be able to promote double action action episode. Well, the resident, is a medical show. They don't have action. They don't, the writers don't write action. They don't, that's not what they'd normally do. But because I've produced some action shows, they call me in and they said, Hey, we'd like you to direct this episode. And if you have any ideas about how to make the action better. So I read it and I thought about it and I came back with some really big ideas for a car chase and a, and a car flip and explosion and, and, um, and a shootout in the building that precedes the car chase. And, and, uh, and they bought it all. So I was able to, even just as a director, not even producing that show, I was able to sort of repitch some ideas and make their, what they wanted, an action sequence, even bigger than they had first imagined. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I produce usually, I, I produce Chuck. I came on to Chuck as a producer and directed probably one out of every three or four episodes I directed. Um, I directed a lot, a lot of that show. Uh, it was fun. I love the comedy. Comedy's always been fun for me to to work on, especially as a director. Um, and uh, and I love the action. I love all the the kind of mashup of of genres that Chuck was the the romance, the action, the comedy. All of it was uh, some of my favorite kind of entertainment. So, are you still in touch with um, anyone from the cast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I talked to quite a few of them. I was just texting with Zach yesterday. Or today, this morning, even maybe. Um, yeah, I've stayed in touch with Zach quite a bit. See him whenever I can. Uh, he lives in Texas. I live in Georgia now. But but whenever we're in the same city, we try to connect. Um, I stay in touch with Yvonne. I've seen her quite a few times, and um, she's amazing uh, in uh, Hand Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, she's wonderful. She's she's. Uh, I had seen her do a Broadway show. She right after Chuck, she got offered uh, Golden Boy on Broadway, a revival of an old 1930s Clifford Odets play, and um, 
she was very intimidated to do it and very excited about it. And she did it. And I went to see her in it. I was directing a, and producing a show in New York at the time called 666 Park Avenue. But um, I went to see Yvonne in this piece and she was, she blew me away. I had no idea of the kind of talent and the acting chops and the kind of transformative abilities that Yvonne had as an actor to, to take on a whole new persona. And, and um, it, was, it was so much more than I ever expected. And I knew at that point when I saw her in that play that, that she was a very a more serious actor than I even, I knew she was good, but she was really, really talented. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. When, at the beginning of Handmaid's Tale, it's like, okay, I, I see what they're doing here. But when her her arc ramped up and she just, she knocked it out of the park all the time. Yeah. Yeah, she did. She did. Now from going to uh, good acting to kind of cheesy 80s movies, Masters, yeah. of, Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, get, do you get asked about this movie often in interviews like this it's kind of come back the last few years it's come back into vogue or something um yeah i've gotten a lot of questions the last few years about masters of the universe i wish they would you know make another one and i'd love to direct it i'd love to help create uh, a new i know there's a lot of big movie directors and and people that that grew up as fans of master the original masters movie um so I'm sure at some point it will reemerge, but, but I had a blast doing it. You know, I, at, up until that point, I'd been a, a New York theater actor. I'd done a lot of theater in New York. Uh, that's what I thought I was going to do for my, my life career was, was be a theater actor. And then uh, just a year or so before that movie, I, I got a soap opera in New York. So I was on my first TV show. I was doing a, um, a daytime soap opera. And then I got offered this movie so I was just thrilled, you know, it was, it felt like everything and more than I could have imagined was happening for me. And I was only 20 years old. I was a kid, you know, I was, I was, um, yeah, I was, I, I had done a play off Broadway that year while I was on the soap in New York, um, doing the TV show during the day and then getting a movie. I just felt like, like I said, like all my dreams were coming true. I was very excited and the cast was, uh, really exciting to me. Um, Billy Barty playing Gwildor, who had been in the uh, Wizard of Oz movie. It's just like, I can't believe I'm working with an actor like that. Uh, Frank Langella, was, I was a huge fan of his theater work. And uh, Meg Foster, um, I knew her very well. Um, John Seifer had a great reputation as a, as a theater actor and, and a real professional um, and Courtney Cox was, had been in the Bruce Springsteen video and, and was this young actress on a, a TV show called Misfits of Science that was very cool and, and, and edgy. So I, I, was I was thrilled. It was, it was exciting. I think the, you know, the thing that was challenging about that movie was we, we had a first-time uh, director, first and last. He directed his first and last movie, uh, Gary, uh, Gary Goddard. And I like Gary a lot. Personally, um, he was a sweet man and, and he really got the movie financed and kind of was spearheading it in many ways. But I, I, I wish that maybe someone else could have had a shot at directing the movie because 
it was a lot for Gary to take on, not not having ever directed and not knowing um, just the the fundamentals and the nuts and bolts of getting through a day. And so all kinds of things just would fall apart. And they had problems with our, our crew and our director of photography was was fired and replaced. And there was a lot of behind the scenes budget problems and <laughs> all kinds of things. Um, scheduling nightmares and uh, but it was fun i was 20 like i said i was a kid i was a baby well with all so those was problems it actually it sounds like it came out like it came out pretty well um yeah i mean yeah it, it's <laughs> I, I i think it could have you know the i think the vision of what we all hoped we were making and thought we might make was maybe not as campy and silly uh, as it as it turned out as once we got to see how it was photographed and edited and, and all the elements, we sort of realized, oh, it's just a campy, silly, it's not Star Wars, it's not E.T., it's not, <laughs> it's not nearly as polished and, and um, you know, kind of elevated as some of those movies that I think we were all sort of trying to aspire to in some ways. Um, anyway, but it was, I had a, I had a great time making it. It was one of my funner favorite 80, 80s movies. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Honest trailer for it? They, re I think they released it recently. Uh-uh. Yeah, they, it, it's, you know, they can be a little brutal with them, but they, they, they had fun with it. I, yeah. Check it out. I'll have to check that out, yeah. Um, Before I we jump into the bonus questions, I just want to, uh, you know, touch back to kind of like the state of the Star Trek universe right now. Yeah, yeah. It's about, you said it's like the 25th anniversary of Voyager. You know, is yeah. there anything you want to say about Voyager just overall, you know, to people? Um, well, I think, you know, I guess my the first thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, I think I think Voyager was much more cutting edge than we all realized at the time. Uh, a female captain first female captain, um, a, a, a co-female lead in many ways in Seven of Nine, who, you know, even though she came on the show a few years into the series, became critical in terms of uh, kind of the point of view and the voice of, of, this, of the show, the series. Um, I feel like it was cutting edge. It was very cutting edge and it was ahead of its time. And I don't think that that was quite realized by a lot of the fans and a lot of the people at the time. Um, at the time, there was a lot of comparing it to Next Generation and Patrick Stewart, or there was a lot of like, well, it's not this or it's not that, um, rather than just kind of taking Voyager for what it actually was. And I think people are starting to see that now, I guess, with, with a little distance and time i think there's a lot of people that are discovering voyager as their first star trek show they're finding it on netflix or somewhere and really able to experience how cutting edge it was for its time and how strong the characters and the stories and and the writing and the execution was it was a really i'm really proud of the show and um and and i think that 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 I'm glad that it's getting appreciated now, later, later in its uh, 
vintage. Have you been able to catch any of uh, Picard or um, Discovery? I've seen Discovery. I haven't seen Picard yet. I've been sort of, because I don't want to get it started while I've got other things going. So I've, I'm, I'm deep into a long list of shows trying to keep up with, but uh, I'm, I'm dying to see Picard. I hear it's wonderful. And uh, Discovery has been very hit or miss for me personally um, as a series. Um, but but there's been some wonderful work on it. And again, like, you know, a uh, female leading character, um, gay characters, um, it's breaking ground in so many ways. And in a lot of ways, things that Voyager had touched on or done or dealt with um, many years ago. So it's interesting to see kind of the newer, it's a newer version of things that we've, that we've done before. So. And they're announcing more series and animated series, the strange new worlds. Where, where would you like to see Star Trek go with these new, new interpretations? Where would I like to see it go? Um, well, I think it's important for Star Trek to remember its, its history. And this isn't just because I was on the show, but I think that, um, I think that it's important for Star Trek to remember where it came from. And I think Strange New Worlds is a great way of exploring that. I think there's there, there was a realization with Discovery that you can't just dive into some brand new um, kind of format and characters and, and abandon all connection to, to the mythology of the entire series and the canon of the, the show. So going backwards to, to bring Picard into, you know, uh, into a modern, a modern version, updated version, revisiting Picard, I think was the first step in that. Strange New Worlds is, is connecting the original series and, and that, that mythology in so many ways. I think there's a lot of value still in some of these other shows like Voyager or Deep Space Nine um, to contribute to that tapestry. And I'd love to see a way that they um, could bring back some of these characters. They had contacted me last year about coming on to Picard actually. And I, I was not able to do it because I was producing, you know, like I said, I, I get on these shows as a producer full time. And so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it, but that was um, that would have been fun. But but I'd like to see I'd like to see these characters. I'd like to see the Doctor brought back into into this tapestry and included in some of these versions or um, some of my other castmates. You know, Kate Mulgrew is a phenomenal captain, and I'd love to see her character and and her as an actress um, given an opportunity to explore. Uh, her stories a little deeper as well. Yeah, I agree. There should be a Janeway series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bonus question time. Uh, the first yep. one is uh, what does creativity mean to you? Creativity. Creativity means um, creativity means something that, that that's uh, authentic and personal. Um. I mean, you can be creative in, in how you clean the, wash the dishes, you know, um, if it's authentic <laughs> and it's personal. I think if you're painting a painting or writing a song or acting in a scene or whatever, 
the creativity isn't copying what someone else did and trying to imitate another actor or another songwriter. Creativity is not um, pretending to write about something you don't know. Um, creativity to me is something that's authentic and it's writing or creating from a place that is very personal to you and authentic and finding a new perspective on that through the song or the painting or the scene that you do or finding a deeper experience about the thing that, that, uh, that you're connecting to in a very personal way. So that's creativity to me. I like that. Um, who is your favorite Muppet and why? Uh, um, so it's any Jim Henson, Sesame Street, Yoda, Dark Crystal, Fraggles. Okay. I think Grover. I would say Grover was Grover was my favorite Muppet. He just always seemed optimistic. Yeah. Totally. He seemed he seemed very optimistic and enthusiastic and he threw himself into things a hundred percent. So I liked Grover. My wife does an incredible Grover impression. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. It's lots of fun. And then the last one, uh, whenever I act, ask, or act, ask actors this, yes. uh, I think it's a weird question. Uh, in the movie of your life, who would you want to play you? In <laughs> <laughs> uh, the movie of my life. Who would I want to play me? I would like Paul Newman to play me. Like a young Paul Newman. Yeah. Like if, if we could go back in time a little bit, a younger Paul Newman. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. I, I think that, that would be very interesting to me. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with Paul Newman. Very nice. So if people want to catch your uh, stuff that you're working on now or just you in general, where can they find you? Um, well, I've got a, a Twitter. I don't know what my Twitter thing is. I think it's Robbie McNeil or McNeil Robbie or I don't know. I got some Twitter. I got an Instagram. Um, they can check out stuff there. I uh, We've got this web show and podcast, The, the Delta Flyers. It's on Patreon uh, for people that want to check out the web show. And in terms of projects I'm working on, I'm actually have, I have two jobs right now, but neither one of them are happening. I'm finishing up a series called Re Resident Alien that's going to air on Sci-Fi Channel. I was producing that show. We did 10 episodes for Sci-Fi Channel, almost finished. I have to direct the finale. We were just about to start shooting the finale when we got shut down. Um, Resident Alien stars Alan Tudyk from nice. Firefly. And an, an amazing cast. It's kind of about a an alien that gets stranded in a small town, kind of like Northern Exposure, and he has to take on a human form and pretend he gets drafted to be the town doctor. Um, so he's got to pretend to be a doctor and be human while he figures out how to get home. And uh, it's very funny. It's uh, very well acted and well well written. And uh, Resident Alien is an awesome show. I think we're premiering in the fall. Uh, we hope on, uh, we're supposed to premiere this summer, but we are, it's pushed to the fall because of this COVID-19. We'll see if we can get everything finished up and ready to start airing in the fall. Um, 
Resident Alien. And the other show that has not begun yet, but I've begun prepping it to produce is Turner and Hooch for Disney Plus. Oh, nice. And yeah, it's a, it's a, a TV, um, not an adaptation. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a continuing story uh, in the Turner and Hooch um, inspired by the movie and related to the movie. His son uh, uh, is carrying on the law enforcement tradition. Tom Hanks' son and, uh, and a dog gets involved in his life. And, uh, and we have a lot of uh, familiar antics with a dog in Turner and Hooch, the series for Disney+. Plus. So that'll be coming out. I don't know when. We haven't started filming it yet, but uh, yeah, some of the it's a re reunited with Mick G, who I worked with on Chuck. Uh, Mick G is directing the pilot and producing the show, and I'm producing and directing episodes of it, and um, also with Matt Nix, who created The Gifted that I produced on Fox, the X Men show. Oh, nice! I'm working with Matt Nix. He also created Burn Notice. A lot of people know. Um, and uh yeah it's exciting uh, a lot of a lot of things happening and uh and i'm uh people can find me everywhere <laughs> well anytime you want to come back and you know talk about these projects when they're closer to premiering your you're, you're yeah. welcome to awesome awesome all right great thank, thank you so much robbie thank you for your nice time. chatting with you dylan all Lo right live you long care. and prosper have a good one <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night, sir. Um, Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Podcast is done, man. <laughs>